0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth, so thanks for tuning in, and welcome to our tribe. All right, Solar Warriors, we are back. It is a Financial Thursday. If you are tuning in on the day that this episode comes out, you are in for a treat. Today, we're going to help you put your money where your heart is that you didn't know there are some secrets out there about how your money is being invested against your better interests thank you so much for lending your ears and the only non-renewable resource that you possess and that's your time to us thank you so much from wherever you are whatever you're doing you can be doing lots of different things right now but you are tuning into Suncast and for that I love you if you're new here please let us know what takeaways you get from Suncast, I promise we will do our very best to earn your attention and get you back for another episode. Today's entrepreneur is my good friend Robbie Mickelson. If you tuned in back in October of October 1st, in fact, of two thousand and nineteen, then you actually it was October that we did the episode with Samuel Idiemo of Aurora Solar, organized through Climate Link. One of the organizations that this multifaceted entrepreneur has uh, put together, 4,000 plus of you climate and solar champions out there who are uh, participating in in Ravi one of one of Ravi's many adventures. Uh, Ravi is someone I've come to uh, respect and admire, and today we're going to dig into his latest brainchild that is gathering traction. Certainly, several of you have no doubt heard Jigger and others mention it from the stages of Energy Gang and other uh, platforms recently because not only has Ravi and his family invited a new member into their family, uh, but they have uh, begun a broader family called Atlas Financial. We're going to learn all about that today and why in the world uh, he would be trying to take on big banks. If you love this kind of content, I really would hope that you would subscribe to Suncast. It shows me that you're willing to come back. It also helps, you know, the algorithms figure out that folks are digging what we are putting out into the ether. Uh, We put out twice weekly content just like this. You can find out much more about it over at mysuncast.com where we've got about 350 additional founder stories and startup advice. Really appreciate all of those of you who have been uh, going over to mysuncast recently and filling out the listener survey or filling out a clarity call uh, at the Work Nico page to, to see if there's a bit for us to work together. And there's so much more coming down the pipe. But for now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we are going to tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, we're going to jump right in today to what I expect to be a fantastic foray into the world of banking, something that I hope will pull the scales back from your eyes about where and how your money is being invested, as I said before, against your better interests. But before we go down the rabbit hole, let me invite my dear friend, Robbie Mickelson to the Suncast stage once again.
1: Thank you, Nico. Uh, It's an honor and a pleasure to be on the stage in our own homes together. So hopefully (laughs) we can gather in person again like we did uh, back in October 2019 at Aurora. So
0: I can't wait. It's going to be fun. We'll do a Climate Link special for the Atmos community
1: that would be awesome.
0: There's so much to talk about that it's hard to know exactly where to start. I'm going to lean on my tried and trusted and true intro question. Ravi, can you give us a better understanding of how, when, where, and why uh, the, the idea of climate action and clean energy entered into your presence or your being? And you decided this is probably something it's going to be more than a passing interest for me in in the coming days, weeks, months, years.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I should get the exact date, but I believe it was August fifteenth, two thousand. You know, it was about one seventeen PM. It was a Hollywood esque, you know, movie moment. So the, that moment of epiphany that happened and that happened for me. So it was my freshman orientation at the University of Washington, and they'd separated us into you know groups of like engineers and normal people. And so our smaller group of engineers were in this room, and they were telling us about the opportunities. This woman comes in and says, there's this four-year research exchange program, and right away, you'll do graduate-level research into water quality testing and eco-friendly materials and renewable energy. And when she said renewable energy, like she said other things, but I couldn't hear that anymore. The room got dark and there was a spotlight on her and there was this heat in my chest. And it was insane. It was like, and there was this clear voice in my head that said like, this is your mission in life. It's to help the world transition off of fossil fuels. Basically since then in some form or another, I've spent just about every day working on that. So, you you know, at the smallest it's a conversation with somebody like asking, what can I do? It's moving just a little bit, something every day. And, you know, I was, <laughs> I was the odd friend. I was like, oh that's, that's, oh, that's just Ravi talking his crazy talk about climate change and sustainability. You know, all these things, yeah. I love that 20 years later, it still
0: chokes you up to talk about it, man. That's beautiful. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's powerful. Like it, it, it was this, you know, seminal moment in my life. And now here I am and the tribe has grown, you know, millions of active people and billions of concerned people all around the world. Working to stop climate change and transition not only just to a clean economy but you know a fair and equitable one as well
0: you're in mile stomping grounds, and i'm perennially jealous that uh, you get to enjoy Oakland as it has developed and evolved over the gosh almost uh nine years eight years since I left. Has being in the bay area been part of the the destination the choice for you in terms of addressing. Climate action? Was it happenstance? How did your location factor into your mission? I moved to the Bay Area
1: because a longtime friend and mentor of mine, software entrepreneur, software executive. And as I got into my own entrepreneurial career after, after college, I started in sort of the clean tech 1.0, the physical side. I had a, a biodiesel company, uh, looked at other various energy generation technologies. And Then as I shifted into developing sort of energy modeling and energy management uh, software uh, around, you know, 2009, 2010, he was like, move to the bay, move to the bay, move to the bay.
0: Where were you before?
1: I was up in Seattle still. Okay. Yeah. It was really weird. So it's like up there, you know, you'd speak to an investor and at the time, and they say, oh, did you, you know, did you come from Microsoft? No. Amazon? No. Oh, then you probably can't make this work. And so. I visited, I visited down here. They're like, you probably can't start a software company. And so then I visited the Bay and, you know, within less than a week, I felt like I'd made more progress than I had in the previous year. And one, the number of people down here that are like, oh, that's a cool idea. Let's work on it. Let me help you. Totally different from up there, which was at the time, People like, got my nine to five, I'm good. Go home, do something else outside of work versus let's create, let's move, let's push. But when I was talking to investors and other people down here, they're like, oh, you're from Seattle. Did you work at Amazon? No. Microsoft? No. Then you can probably make this work. It was the ah, exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so the, the, there was this, this view down here that people from those two companies were sort of fixed in their ways. And it was this you know centralized planning model. You know, within two days of being down here, I said, I'm moving. And so went back up and started packing and then came down later that year. And that's also what really sort of shifted me into sort of the, the digital space. I sort of went from climate tech. It was still it was still we still called it clean tech back then. It was almost clean
0: web. Well, you actually were the first to introduce to me what I expect will become the the verbiage uh that the kids are using is this idea of climate tech. Uh, so I think there are a number of things I want to talk to you about, but among them, uh, you were also the first person, ironically, uh, in my Suncast journey that introduced a broader audience to Suncast. And that being the audience of folks who are really just interested in climate action, not necessarily clean energy. Help me understand the passe usage and maybe even the negative connotation that somehow clean tech has taken on in the last few several months or years and what verbiage you're seeing popping up that maybe we want to adopt as a community
1: you know so there's this this clean tech 1.0 bubble um from the the late aughts mid to late aughts that it, it also corresponded with the the housing bubble and the great financial crisis there was this shift in the zeitgeist with al gore's release of you know the the PowerPoint presentation as a movie called *Inconvenient yes. Truth*. Um, <laughs> the most important PowerPoint presented in the aughts. I believe so. Yeah. And a shift in the economy creates, you know, a, a great investment opportunity. And so the investors in Silicon Valley and elsewhere said, and also you know, they care about the planet, so they said, "Let's let's put money into it." But when you have Software investors trying to scale physical products. I mean, there are a, a host of issues, um, but this is one of them specific to you know Silicon Valley. So I'm gonna focus on that because it sort of tails into more climate tech. Atoms don't scale as easily as bits, you know, as if, if you have, you know, these electrons. And so throwing a bunch of money, you know, trying to scale a liquid fuels company or you know, some sort of solid state company, it just didn't work. And also there was changes in the changes in the, the the global economic situation, the political environment, and then also just changes in technology in which, you know, which, which technologies became the winner and the market choice. So that was, you know, the clean tech 1.0 bubble at the beginning of the 20 teens, we were sort of at the bottom and clean tech became a, a, a a dirty word, a four letter word within, uh, especially within the Silicon Valley venture community. But at the same time, we had Sunrun launch down here, we had Solar City launch down here, and Tesla launched and grew. So there was a shift in, when I moved here in 2011, you'd see BMWs everywhere and then over the next several years saw those parking lots shift to Teslas amazing vehicle and it's like okay this is this is what all the investors are buying and it opens you know i think that helped open the door a little bit and then also now you know you've got the the you know the car sharing services you have more digital technologies that can do this energy management you know uh, demand response services like Home Connect. You've got solar software companies coming, like, okay, this is a software company. This is a SaaS company that's in a niche market. I don't understand the broader market, but I understand SaaS. And so, food tech, transportation, automation, use of sensors, data science, all of these things became applied to sustainability, to food availability, to solving climate change. And Technically, you know, if they were done in the mid aughts we would have called them all clean clean tech companies. But now it's it's transportation tech, it's food tech, it's ag tech. So slightly different label under the broader umbrella of what we used to call clean tech, and some of us still call clean tech. And you know, it became palatable again. It became it it fit now within the the thesis and and the strengths of your typical software you know venture investor. So we, 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 I don't know, three, four years ago, yeah, four, four, three to five years ago, started seeing a return of, you know, typical software venture investors into the broader clean tech space, but under a different name. And now there's a lot more very specific to climate change. And I would say climate change is, or climate tech is relatively, it's, it's both an umbrella itself, and also a category under clean tech. But it is the uh, nom de jour
0: for folks working in this space. Well, I've certainly been, uh, been I'll say, corrected a couple of times by hearing, and not in a direct, overt way, but just listening. I tend to use clean tech and listening to you and Julia Piper and, and several others, thinking to myself, gosh, this climate tech sure is catching on. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, I'm a little bit stuck in the aughts. If uh, if I'm still using cleantech. so I appreciate the knowledge explanation, but also the insight. I'm sure there are several listening to this, guiltily sort of scratching their heads, thinking, "When's the last time I used clean tech? Probably an hour ago." Yeah. Well, Rob Day of Spring Lane Capital,
1: his Twitter handle is clean tech VC. <laughs> I mean, oh he, wow, he, he's repping that strong, and I mean, it's I don't think he's ever going to change it. Oh, sorry, clean tech inv, I N V, clean tech investor. Investor, yeah, and and Rob calls this out. He's like, you know, there, there are a few of us that still use, you know, clean tech. Um, I use both yeah. depending yeah. on who I'm speaking with. Yeah. But that's sort there's of the, a- the, the, the broader arc of how we shifted
0: mostly from clean tech to climate tech and there's overlap. There's Peter Sofer or Sofer who's climate tech VC as well. Yeah. yeah. Smart, smart jump there. He was formerly at IDA. So that makes sense. So Robbie, you have done a few things that I find are Particularly insightful and innovative. I'd love to hear about the idea uh, for the software that got you investment from the DOE, and where did that go? Why? Why is that not what you're working on now?
1: Yeah, I mean, in in, in a sense, I am Atmos is it is the evolution of that idea. In twenty late 2015, the Department of Energy had the the, the SunShot program. They had a startup accelerator as part of it, they asked for ideas. as like, how do we bring down the soft costs of solar? And I went to this event that they had at, at Powerhouse in downtown Oakland. And I had this idea. It's like, you know what? I've been thinking about you know, how we can shift the sale and the financing of residential solar from a relatively random one-off event. Uh, somebody comes knocking on your door and a relatively high cost unsecured loan to the mortgage event. Nico, you know, if you borrow thirty thousand dollars, we can put solar on your roof and reduce your, you know, monthly electricity bill. Uh, it sounds okay. You're about to borrow half a million dollars, whatever. Nico, if we bump up that lo- your mortgage by thirty thousand dollars, we can put solar on your roof and basically wipe out your electricity bill, and you and you're saving money every month. Whoa, like that sounds better. I mean, one, I said wipe out versus reduce, but the math is so much better on it, and also psychologically, going from zero to thirty is a way bigger jump than going from five hundred to five thirty. So that was the original idea that I pitched, and they liked it, and so I got into this program, and got twenty five or thirty thousand dollars worth of services. You know, that's sort of like another big jump because that's specifically when I got into solar, even though. Ravi, my name is Sanskrit for the sun. So, you know, it's I'm not dangerous in my middle name. Ravi is my first, like solar is my first name, Mickelson. I have looked at solar, you know, did some some research into it uh, at university, uh, but never really worked in specifically in, in the field other than working on some uh, utility scale, you know, deployment uh, in the mid-aughts as well. What that did is it got me connected both deep into the solar industry, but then also into the financial industry. So CFA, the Solar Energy Finance Association, I was connected into some of the larger banks, you know, the, the biggest banks that were working in this space. And, you know, I spoke with them of, of how we might structure a mortgage or home equity line of credit to finance solar. And one of the biggest hurdles was that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, these two government supported Agencies or entities they purchase you know about three quarters of all mortgages in the u s, and this was a big part of the you know financial crisis just over a decade ago. And they wouldn't allow sort of this altered paper, this you know these if changing the mortgage to include solar. They wouldn't allow this back then. And so it's like, okay, so we can't do the mortgage, but we could do a home equity line of credit or we could do a mortgage refinancing because now the value of the home has changed. So that's sort of how that came to be, started moving forward on that. So it's like, okay, if we originally finance the idea, you know, finance like a, with a normal solar loan and then refinance the mortgage, we can buy it out and then shift from the higher cost to the lower cost. Unfortunately, the 2017 solar downturn took that out, but the idea stayed with me and you know, it's like ultimately from the beginning I was like the banks need to do this. So then worked on that idea. And then in 2017, if you remember the, well, everyone remembers this in the solar industry, the, 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 the trade case that was filed and eventually the the tariffs were put in place, it, it put a pause to pretty much any new solar startup financing, um, especially solar finance. So I had to put a pin pin in that idea and, you know, take on some consulting gigs and, and other things to keep the fires going. And at the same time I was, growing and building the climate link community uh, as you mentioned in the intro
0: it sounds like as you put that idea on the shelf waiting on sort of better economic times you through climate link and consulting started to peek behind the curtain to see well what was the friction where where is there some sense of brokenness or disconnect in the marketplace that i'm trying to disrupt what did you find there is there anything in particular related to the money markets at large, you know, was it just simply a lack of investment appetite for new venture finance? Give me an understanding of what you discovered that sort of set you back on the path to bring what we now know as Atmos to the world. There were a
1: lot of things. There was a lot of reports coming out about, you know, in the, in the climate finance space. And I knew that capital deployment I saw in 2015, 2016, I saw capital deployment as the Archimedes lever to shift the world on climate change. It said, this is what I need to do. There was, you know, the climate link side, it more focused on the investment, R&D. How do we match, you know, early stage, really interesting companies, great technology with the most appropriate capital? Um, there might be philanthropic capital or venture capital or government capital, but we need that to flow and, and to keep going on. And then there was the other side of the actual deployment of solar, wind, et cetera. And, you know, really, as you look around, it's the banks do the the vast majority of this infrastructure
0: financing,
1: you know, whether it's a bridge, a new energy plant, you know, buildings, this this is, you know, even our auto loans mostly come from banks and credit unions. And where does that money come from? It comes from you and me. Uh, Those are our deposits. And if you look at the, you know, so there's a great organization called the Rainforest Action Network. And they do a a report every year called Banking on Climate Change. And if you look that within that report, you'll see that the four largest banks in the US, Chase, B of A, Wells Fargo, and Citi, are the four largest funders of extreme fossil fuel extraction in the world. Not only that. And if you look on the FDIC's website, you'll see that those four banks have around 40 to 50% of all deposits in the U.S. Our industry, you know, the, the people within our industry, I would say we, we bias slightly away from the big banks towards community banks, credit unions, because we want to help our local communities. But, you know, still, there's a very large percentage of us that bank with those four banks because of convenience.
0: Statistically speaking, one out of two of us. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, If you take a a random sampling. Well, in the random sampling of this interview, it's exactly true because I still (laughs) bank with Chase. And you do not bank with Chase. No, I do not. Uh, But what you're saying is that my deposits at Chase, which I've had since 2006, when it was WAMU, are by and large, or potentially at least, being used to fund fossil fuels, the thing that I'm vehemently against.
1: Yes. I can't say specifically that the dollar that you put in there went into a pipeline or some other course, deal. Yeah, but the deposits get put in there. They say, they look at all their projects and then they allocate that capital. So the more deposits that we in the clean energy industry put into those four banks and the broader top 20, top 50 banks, those deposits will get used for these fossil fuel projects.
0: Okay. So the question I have is instead of, Creating a new institution is anyone working on dev- working from the inside out at those institutions to re. I mean, it seems to me like the same way the Norway Sovereign Fund is saying no to fossil fuels. The same, uh, the the Big Four of the U.S., which are for those who aren't aware, maybe aren't for the U.S. It's Chase, the Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and what's the fourth? C- City. City. Right. It seems to me like they're going to. Internally, start diverting their funds to renewables as well because it just makes sense. Or to, to climate tech.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say to climate tech because the the risk level of investing into a startup just you know, but uh, solar but to renewables, very, I mean, that's a yeah, low no risk investment, and they already are. It will be very difficult to you know beat them in in scale. Yeah, you know, I. I you know, spoke with and and was on committees with some of the renewable energy team from Wells Fargo on some, you know, solar, solar data issues, and they're doing million, you know, billion dollar projects, massive utility scale stuff. So they are putting money there. But if you look at, you know, proportionally, their fossil fuel asset base is way larger than renewable energy, but also, you know, it extends a hundred years. They are changing. They have sustainability teams, they have renewable energy teams, and they have made announcements in the last, you know, over the last few years of stopping thermal coal, funding for thermal coal, you know, Arctic drilling. These are also becoming less and less economical. Like the margins aren't there. And for Arctic drilling, you need oil, you know, close to $100 a barrel, may not go back then. So these announcements are relatively... Yeah, they're, they're much easier than saying we're just going to stop all fossil fuel funding, no more auto loans for internal combustion engine vehicles, no more gas furnaces and homes. So that's way more difficult for them and even unloading, you know, existing assets. So we're a tiny little speedboat. They're a giant frigate. It takes a lot longer to shift what they do. Um,
0: so give me the give me the the elevator pitch then that. As you've been doing very much lately, uh, that would presume to convince me to take my deposits out of Chase and put them in another financial institution with a different Archimedes' lever, with a different intention toward how that money is invested. Tell me more about uh, the atmosphere around green investing and green banking.
1: Let's go back in time. Let's pull that idea from a couple of years ago back off the shelf and let's use you know, bank financing only for clean energy. And what if? We use the mortgage to electrify a home, power it with solar, put EVs in the driveway, and that's all we do. That's the base. I mean, there's also regenerative agriculture, um, lower, you know, low-no waste manufacturing and and you know, fashion, apparel producing. So there's a lot of other things that can be financed with with people's deposits and companies' deposits, um, because it's not just yours and my deposits. It's also our companies. Where does you know SunCast Media keep its deposits? Where does a solar installer
0: in one of the other four, right? Bank of America. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, there's so much. It's like, why are you know wh- why does our money work work against us?
0: It's like uh, that's a really interesting concept. Our money is currently working against us. All of my personal deposits are in Chase. All of my well, not all, but almost entirely, all of my business deposits are in Bank of America. All of my savings is in SunTrust now. Truest maybe maybe the fifth largest bank, it's the top mortgage holder in the U.S. outside of Fannie Mae SunTrust. You're proposing, uh, and I know that you're not alone, there are actually other startups that um, we've discussed that are also engaged in trying to figure out how to divert climate investing into more conscious banking. H- help me understand what conscious banking looks like, because I- I'm compelled to say, well, why would I move my deposits where I've had them for 15 plus years to another banking institution?
1: There's a lot of friction in moving one's banking relationship. Traditionally, you had to go into a branch, you had to fill out reams of paperwork to close one account, to open a new account and wait for a wire a check or whatever to, to move the money. Now over the last, it's been longer, but you know, 20, 30 years of the FinTech space has been growing ever since into it in the eighties. But in the last several years, we've seen the rise of neobanks. They are, Banking startups that partner with, you know, it's a software company that parts partners with an existing bank to leverage their license, charter, FDIC insurance.
0: What's an example? You you mentioned SoFi now going to public through a SPAC bought one of these banks, right? Yeah, you know,
1: one of the biggest neobanks right now is Chime, based here. They just announced that they have 12 million users.
0: So does that um, if- mean that? They have 12 million users. Their deposits are actually being held by another bank, but they are a financial technology layer on top of that bank that allows users to do something different?
1: Exactly. You know, Neobanks provide the customer-facing interface, the mobile app, the website, customer support. So you can sign up on a mobile app, on a web app in three to five minutes, no fees, you know, free ATM access, early payday, a lot of these 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 new features and products. That's sort of the general neobank experience. And then then there's been sort of the rise of the climate fintech, and whether that's you know investing, so fossil free mutual funds and ETFs, or impact or or like impact investing uh, apps, and now neobanks like Atmos, where we will provide y- your typical banking services so we've started with a savings product and we'll be adding in a debit card shortly and mobile apps and then we'll provide commercial banking services and then we're going to start lending and we want to be able to shift an individuals especially an individual in the in the clean energy and climate space we we want you know to align their money as you said where their heart is and also the company that they work for and so it should it should there shouldn't be that conflict between what we do in this industry
0: and what our money does. So then Atmos, through being a neobank layer, has access to the deposits that you're holding as a, with, a, with a fiduciary, a, a traditional brick and mortar bank. We don't need to get into necessarily all the discussion in the back end about how that all works, but you now have the ability to take my deposits and direct them into climate focused investments.
1: Yes, and how we're starting with that. So we're not making the loans directly right now. What we're doing is we're working with with banks that have existing renewable energy lending programs. And we're signing contracts with them to take a portion of our deposits and put them into those funds. They say, oh, we're gonna do a $100 million fund. And we say, oh, well, we have $10 million that we'd like to participate. And they say, okay, great. So they leverage, you know, so they leverage our deposits to finance a portion or as and as we grow, perhaps all of these projects. The Very specifically of the projects. directed towards
0: towards renewable or climate based, climate focused investments. And you are offering, we'll call it a high yield savings account. The money that you're investing with that bank is going to give you return, some sort of institutional level return call, six or seven percent. Is that accurate?
1: Yes and no. And. First, I think what we need to do is get this more into a level playing field, solar panel to solar panel, apples to apples. what you're're you're, you're comparing is an illiquid investment uh, as most solar investors are going to see. It's like, well, if, why are you you're paying up to half a percent, and I can earn seven percent over here or six percent, whatever. If you make an investment into you know a solar project, you can't go and buy milk with that. The FDIC, to insure, you know, doesn't ensure that banking is is the base layer, and that's what we need to compare this to. It's like, what does Chase give you besides global climate change? Like, they give you, you know, one basis point, two basis points. They give me peace on, of
0: mind that my money is never gonna <laughs> is gonna be there when I need it.
1: That's what the that's what the FDIC does.
0: Oh, um, <laughs> the Chase
1: okay. Chase does leverages that. We also have that logo on our website because the FDIC also protects the money that comes into Atmos. Okay. I'll come back and we can talk all about all these different things and about future investment products that we may offer to have these unsecure but much higher return uh, investment products of going directly into projects. Um, But for right now, we're talking about a savings account, which we just launched, an FDIC-insured savings account, And soon we'll be adding in a debit card. So when you go to buy that milk, you can take the money that's in your Atmos accounts and you can buy that milk. And when you're not buying milk, we're going to put it into a counterparty bank and they're going to lend it out. So even though you're not earning as much, you have access to it whenever you want. It has full liquidity and it's doing what you want. It is funding the clean energy transition.
0: Yeah, that's a really good distinction. I appreciate that because my mind as someone who's been involved in the utility scale development and investing side of the business for a long time immediately goes to like, what are the kinds of returns that can be earned on these projects, either domestic or abroad? And the reality, as you well point out, is that's an illiquid investment. So I really appreciate the first principle, just the thought of, wait, if we go back to how do I align my purpose with my pocketbook? Is the money that I want access to this week to pay rent doing in the fiduciary's hands what I would like it to do? I.e., is it or is it doing or is it doing something I would not like it to do, like put money into shale oil or tar sands or fracking?
1: You know, speaking of, and you know, lending or investing into things we don't want next month, most of the big banks have a debt facility that's about to renew to the line three pipeline. Uh, it's a Canadian company. It's this oil sands oil show pipeline that runs you know through Wisconsin down into Wisconsin from Alberta. So we're putting pressure on them. There's a huge group of us coalition called stop the money pipeline. And it's in this case, literally trying to stop the money going towards the pipeline. And I think we all need to be aware of this. It's like, if you bank, if your money sits with one of the big banks, it is going to fund these things. If you work In the clean energy industry, why do you want your money working against what you do every day? And even if you're with a small bank or a credit union, often the teller, they won't be able to tell you exactly what your money does, especially as as it gets bigger. The asset pool gets so diverse, so large, and it sits across so many different systems that it may take two years or more for Chase or B of A just to know, know what the entire asset base is. It's a variable that we all need to take into consideration. These banks have been there uh, for 100 plus years. They've served us and they've funded the fossil fuel industry, which created this incredible but unequal prosperity in the US and many parts of the world. And it is time to switch tactics. It's time to switch horses. You know, The fossil fuel industry got us to where we are but it's also destroying the planet and it's not going to get us where we need to be. We have better technology and that is what we should put our money towards.
0: I'm for sure going to look into more the coalition to stop the, the money, the stop the money pipeline. Uh, is there a website that sort of captures that argument? Stopthemoneypipeline.org. So we'll link to that, of course, in the show notes. All right, so you've got Salesforce for your sales team. How's that working out for you? How great would it be if someone could actually just come in and really make your whole solar sales process deliver results? And what's more, what if you could actually see all the sales data in one dashboard? Pipeline, forecast, aging, deals that are about to close, the whole darn thing. Look, I have someone who can help do all that. They're called Indium. And right now, for a limited time, you can get a Salesforce tune-up, a process assessment from them entirely on the house. Just click on the Indium logo over at mysuncast.com and start getting more value from Salesforce finally. You know it's the time of year where folks start moving around from business to business, job to job, career transition is at its peak. And it's often a time where folks look to someone else to help organize their thoughts and guide their principles. I've spent the last 15 years in renewables, I've spent the last five years coaching founders and startup executives in this space specifically. And for the last year, I've been helping folks transition out of oil and gas and other industries into renewables. And I've found that there are a few things that are commonalities. I'd like to invite you, if that sounds like something you're interested in, to have a conversation with me about whether or not coaching might be in your future and working with me might be something that would help level up your business or your personal career path you can fill out an application over at mysuncast.com just click on the work with me button in the very top right and everyone who fills out an application i'm going to set up a 15 minute clarity call so i would invite you to run fill that out if this sounds remotely interesting to you and let's have a chat see if there is in fact a fit i look forward to chatting soon Thank you so much for tuning into Suncast. Let me know if I can help you in other ways. Robbie, you know, we've known each other for a while now, but when you started saying to me, Nico, why do you have your money at Chase? You know, candidly, my answer was because that's where I've always banked. So while I'm you, customer, uh, and it just got rolled into Chase, and I had a, uh, a Wells Fargo account that we moved to another bank, uh, or they got. That was uh, the result of having a Wachovia account, and you know now I've started looking into these organizations like Self uh, Credit Union, Self Help Credit Union, uh, to because I like the credit union model. And you know one of the things that you not only revealed to me about how my money would is probably otherwise being spent, uh, but revealed about the current, I'd say, ill preparedness of existing banking for the current fintech sort of revolution. Um, it really opened my eyes to where a need for something like Atmos uh, exists. Can you share a little bit about how some of the previous learning and experience you've had as an entrepreneur now ha- sort of helps contributes to the work that you're doing at Atmos?
1: Lots of learnings. Uh, yeah, like say, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> let's see, uh, on the, the consumer side of things, I've uh, been an energy auditor and built energy modeling software So and in behavioral science software. So it's how do we nudge people? How do we meet people where they are? And it's like, oh, show them the data and they will act upon it. No, no, that's that's not the case. It hasn't been the case for 40 years with climate change. It hasn't been the case for savings. It hasn't been the case for diet, all these different things. So it's how do we meet each person where they are? And Show them, you know, we call it, we're building tools to help them along their own climate path. You know, there's tools called My Climate Path and it's how do we help them meet their own goals, both financial and environmental.
0: So where do you think the average consumer is along that path? When you say you want to meet them where they are, where are they right now? Concerned,
1: frustrated and confused, they're concerned about climate change. They're frustrated at the lack of progress, and they're confused about what they can do themselves. And they don't know. They may have switched bank accounts before, and it was an awful process. Uh, they had to fill out forms in triplicates. They had to do all these different ID things. So that th- there's a huge barrier there to over- help them to overcome that just like you said oh i didn't know what my bank does i didn't know that my bank lends this out i didn't know that atmos can lend it out like this so it's there is a bit of an education step that we need to take to help them see that i don't you know i live in an apartment what can i do well if you move your money to atmos you can't put solar on your roof because that's your upstairs neighbor's floor but we can use your money to put solar on somebody else's roof and you're still having an amazing impact
0: while having it as a liquid asset, yeah, yeah, still one hundred percent liquid. What are some of the things that you are thinking about or doing to help reach consumers, even industry participants, uh beyond being on Suncast, of course? What are some of the things you're thinking about to to reach these uh the, these folks and meet them where they are? Wait, there's a Beyond Suncast? Like <laughs> I, 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 this was yeah, you it? Thought, the, the plan was be on SunCast. <laughs> yeah, like I'm done. This is the marketing budget for the year. I love, so it.
1: I love it. It's just buying this buying this microphone so I could be on SunCast. Um, no, I, like, like I said, we're a member of Stop the Money Pipeline Coalition. We've connected with over 30 nonprofits that people can donate to. Like many of your former guests, Grid Alternatives, Vote Solar, Sea Lie, uh, many. A project Drawdown, All We Can Save, uh, and then some smaller local ones like Ventana Wildlife Society that protects condors and golden eagles. You guys are working with um, John Farrell too, right? Yeah, at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. We want to make it easy for you know people to donate frictionlessly to these amazing orgs. And These orgs are saying, well, here's another way to donate. So now we're getting in front of their members, like on their website or other ways, uh, as a donation pathway. And so, because we're not charging fees on these monthly donations, more of the money that people want to go towards these projects are going towards those projects because we're not taking a fee on it. We'll be doing events. We have social media channels you can find us on, write a blog, I have a newsletter anything and everything that we can do, we will do. As I said at the beginning, like this is my mission in life. And so I do absolutely everything I can. And then sometimes more.
0: One thing I wanted to make sure that uh, I get clear because I try to keep up with FinTech and all the evolution, but uh, I consider myself often on the bleeding edge. And so I don't want to assume that the average person with us in their earballs right now uh, understands this, but There's more than one person right now who potentially has never switched banks. What are the switching costs right now often involved in moving from bank to bank?
1: So if you're going to move to Atmos, the switching cost is four minutes of your time. As long as you already have a computer with internet and or smartphone, Uh, if you don't have those, then it's going to be significantly more expensive. But if you do have those, it will take four minutes of your time to apply and open an account, and then connect to your existing bank and, and start moving over
0: some of your money. That is it. Wow. That simple. I mean, it, wasn't, it didn't used to be that simple.
1: No, no, not at all. Uh, even just a few years ago. Uh, and, and the thing is, if you need the money, let's say, so again, back to that solar investment, if you, you put in $100,000 into a you know, solar project, and, and God forbid, a week later, You have a $100,000 hospital bill that you need to pay. You can't just liquidate that investment into the solar project and pay for it. If you move money into Atmos, it is still helping to fund solar, but you have access to it. Like That is one of the biggest things that we need to keep remembering is that like this is the base layer of people's finances is their bank account. They maintain access to it at all times. They're earning a better yield than other savings or checking accounts. And it's doing what we
0: want it to do. I love it. How how long before you have a debit card checking account product? A few months. Okay. A few months at the time of recording. By the way, it's late February 2021. So so if you're listening to this mid-2021, go ahead and jump in. You're ready. You can (laughs) move your whole checking over. I can attest as an early customer that you guys really have nailed uh, what I think is a a good user experience and uh, a useful app. And, um, you know, I think kudos to you all for... Do, taking the time to get the product right before you went public and launched it? Uh, because that's something that far too many experiment on their users uh, and try to build growth. Uh, and and they have, they, they sort of see consumer, consumers as disposable. Thank you. Uh, we
1: do spend a lot of time on it back when you joined and also continuing to. It's, it's improved from then. And we definitely didn't feel ready when we launched, uh, but we knew we needed to. And we're going to keep making it better. The application process is faster now than when you did it with just a month plus later.
0: So what's the website that someone could go to if they wanted to check it out as a suncast listener and and learn more about Atmos?
1: Join Atmos.com forward slash Suncast.
0: Love it. I love it every time I hear that forward slash Suncast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They say that the 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 thing the most beautiful thing most people hear is the sound of their own name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sunkaz is like my baby. So uh, just like, just like I know your eyes light up every time I say atmosphere.
1: Yeah. This is where I'm sitting. And yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure that when I hear my, ba- my real baby's name, you know, come this August, I'll, I'll let my eyes will
0: light up. I um, can't wait. I can't wait to see th- how th- your eyes light up. Atmos well, 2 has been rejected as a potential name. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, Stratos. Yeah. So, <laughs> tell me something that is true for you that very few people agree with you on.
1: I was going to save this for the uh controversial crystal ball but I guess we'll move this into one. <laughs> I think that, you know, one this is the last decade of of new fossil fuel uh, additions in our buildings. Uh, I think we can reach that point I think within the next 3 to 4 years. To be clear,
0: using natural gas for heating and cooking.
1: Yeah, fossil gas. Let's use fossil gas instead of natural gas. It's not real natural. Okay, Uh, sure. Yeah, so it's better, better branding. uh, Negative branding. So within the next three to four years, we can actually get residential solar down to a cost where it will be more cost effective on a monthly basis. Uh, for a homeowner to borrow money to electrify their home and transportation and power it all with solar, then it, it will be then just their monthly utility bills paying for fossil gas. So we can get to this point. And then at that point, we actually, what, what are the defenses? The, the only reason, logical reason someone would then have to keep fossil gas in their home is that I work for a gas company. Like I'm tr- trying to, save my job and this, this, we need the gas. Um, because if you can get a higher performing home that's healthier and saves you money from day one, people are just going to be saying, hey, Nico, give me that number one electrification solar special. And, <laughs> and solars are going to be going out and taking out these fossil gas furnaces and stoves. And they're going to put in solar plus storage and electric appliances. And we're going to have a more resilient grid we're going to have less air pollution. We're going to be putting out less, you know, greenhouse gases uh, into the atmosphere and people are going to be saving money. Like this is going to help people economically as well. So this is, this is a big thing. Not everyone is on board with this idea. Um, and also what this is going to mean, I think this is the more controversial part is that that means that a lot of the, solar software and solar finance companies are going to go away either through acquisition or just through competition, because it's going to become so standardized that we are not going to be needed anymore. Hey, like if you're in this for the mission, it's okay.
0: We will adapt or we won't. Gosh, you're right. That would have been an amazing piece to have as the crystal ball, because we could just end there with like a bit of a mic drop, be that as it may, I have a few more questions left, but I'm fascinated. So I had this conversation with a, a recent guest as well, who she had convinced her husband basically to move to induction cooking and argued, you know, prove uh, uh, prove me otherwise. I love cooking on open flame, and I think that I kind of uh, uh, kind of connect this as well, being from a farm town in rural rural South Carolina. The rednecks I grew up with who are going to be very reticent to ch- switch from uh, a diesel F-150 or a diesel Dodge Ram to a uh, Rivian even, well, forget it, Cybertruck, Cybertruck. Uh, because they, uh, as my dad said uh, this weekend, I was talking to him, love the sound of that engine and you can't replace that. So I think that while I uh, join the camp of folks who uh, who don't agree with you on perhaps the accelerated timeline that you foresee. I really appreciate as, a, as the CEO of a company that is trying to actively capture a piece of the investment pipeline and redirect it to things that matter. I appreciate that you have uh, this ambitious look and belief what's possible with regard to the, the fossil industry, kind of going back to uh, being fossils. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I can I commend you on that.
1: So I don't necessarily like see this is going to happen. Yeah. It's possible. We need to do a lot of work to get there and that's what I'm pushing towards. And to your point about the you know the sound of the diesel engine, love it. I've had a few biodiesel vehicles. Love my father-in-law's big old diesel F350 carries a lot of stuff. We you know, we need it for uh, for wood and rocks and things. But the sound, I mean, if you've played Grand Theft Auto or any of the, the racing games, the replication of the various engines, they've got it pretty spot on. I mean, you could put it into a little MP3, you know, play, it, play it in your speakers and have some external
0: speakers. I've had the same conversation with my dad. He literally, I could watch his brain thinking, like working on... I saw him come to the logical conclusion in a, over a dinner conversation that computers today could replicate that feeling for him. I said, dad, I mean, final argument here is that if, if virtual reality can make you feel nauseous from writing, I'm doing air quotes for those who aren't watching a video, riding a roller coaster, why can't computers make it feel like you are getting the experience of riding in a turbocharged Corvette, even though it's an electric Corvette? And Uh, And he he was like, well, I have to give you credit there. Like algorithms can kind of do anything these days, (laughs) channeling my father.
1: But if those same diesel truck drivers, they drive up in their diesel truck and there's an equivalent size electric truck and they're given the opportunity, you know, you, you go end to end with toe straps and they get into that electric truck, they pull their own truck, you know, down the field. They say, okay, I want this one. That's right. That's right because That's right. Power, at the end of the day, it's got more torque. That's you know and, and then you you play the sounds of the other engine and it's like, "Hey, why like why would you want a lesser truck?"
0: Right? It's a more fun ride. Do you really just need to pollute? <laughs> yeah. So, I totally I agree with that. I love it. Robbie. one question about Atmos that we haven't talked about, I just it, it occurs to me and I I just want to see your thoughts on this. There are a lot of fintech startups right now including as we discussed, you know, a well-known influence in our industry who has backed a similar type of venture as yours and loves what you do and says, you know, there's a lot of um, activity in this space. So what are you doing differently? And you don't always have to do something per se differently, but in the fintech space for solar and clean energy and new energy economy uh, participants, what are you doing differently that is compelling for potential depositors?
1: I can't speak to the plans of anyone else. I mean, I'm quite transparent about ours. It's like this is what we want to do because this is our goal. Like we have a goal of deploying capital. So if right now we're doing it this, and we have we have part of our core values is transparency. So we're saying this is what we're going to do. This is how we deploy your money, and you know later this year we're going to start lending. I don't know if any of the other fintechs are going to be lending. Uh, ultimately, we want to inspire yes you know this is our company so we would like to be the market leader and because we also think we have the right model of because of deploying capital faster towards the transition Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and that's what we need everyone to do ultimately we're not competing with each other these brand new startups that's raised no money yet it's like hey we're competing against the giants and the fossil fuel companies that are are, are proving this so we, we shouldn't talk about How are we going to outcompete each other? We're going after a trillion-dollar opportunity together, and there's enough for all of us. And let's just push forward and transition our economy off of fossil fuels faster.
0: What do you think is the number one reason why your investors in the current round put money into the business?
1: The opportunity is is definitely there, but they're all mission-aligned. We didn't bring on anyone that only saw the financial opportunity. In fact, we downplayed the financial opportunity because we wanted people that were focused on the mission and they saw just how dedicated my co-founder and I are to this, how long we've been working on this particular idea and in general on the transition. And many of them spent time with us. And so we they actually got a sense for who we
0: are. Tell me about your co founder. I'm going to skip a, a few of the kind of traditional Suncast questions. Tell me about your co founder, how you found him, and why you selected this person to be married to for <laughs> however long it's going to take.
1: Yeah. Uh, so his name's Pete Helwig, and he is a banker by training, unlike myself. He has worked at large banks and some smaller banks, New Resource Bank uh, being. A, a more well-known one. It was in San Francisco, commercially focused. It was America's sustainability bank for many years. Yeah, for a long time. And then it was purchased by Amalgamated. And then he left after, some time after the acquisition. And I believe I said this in the beginning, but I'll say it again, is that I am not a banker by training. I'm an engineer by training and I am a climate solar warrior by birth and by blood and <laughs> by intention. And so that, that, has been my focus and I knew that banking needed to happen. So I came into this space. Uh, He and I met at, we call it a regenerative agriculture conference because it's really easy, but truthfully it was a food systems accelerator demo day that he was representing his bank. I was there actually for the climate link network um, to, to help these startups. And I was sitting down and he happened to come in, you know, and, the seat next to me was the only one left and so he sat down and then at a break uh we stood up and you know I was like oh what are you doing oh i'm ravi i'm pete uh what are you doing well i'm starting a bank to you know, finance the clean energy transition and he's like whoa i work at a bank and my first thought was oh no competition and i was like you know what i'm just gonna be open i'm gonna say wow, well, here's my plan. Like, this is what I want to do. And he's like, well, that's really cool. And and it was similar to what he had been thinking about. And because he was like, what would it be like if there was, you know, the Patagonia of banking? Like Patagonia's mission is to save, you know, the planet that we live on, our home planet. And it's like, what would it be like? And he was, you know, in the process of leaving his job and then he took a little break and then we, we met up again for coffee a little bit after that. Uh, and then his own first child was born shortly after that. So there's more time. So it's about four months later that we actually started working together. But, but we emailed and we had a couple calls and there was just this, this sense of connectedness, not dissimilar, not too dissimilar to what you and I felt when we, when we connected. And there is an incredible compliment between the two of us we're, we're complementary and complimentary. So we're, you know, quite nice to each other as well. Him being from the banking side, me being from the energy side and more on the the startup and, and tech. So we, we have these, these mutually beneficial skills and we bring this forward together. And then we, just, we had the great benefit of presenting at a social impact conference, uh, where we met men in the audience, uh, Like oh, I'd like to learn more. Yeah, sure, anytime. Just some guy. Well, he happened to be the former CEO of a top twenty global bank from Australia. It's like whoa, big deal. One of the conference organizers later is like, you need to talk to him. Uh, So we did, and he took a liking to it, uh, and we met every few weeks over the end of twenty nineteen, and then we. He's like, yeah, I like this. Uh, We should get together before I'm, in And, and. he was going to be back in Australia for a short period of time at the beginning of 2020, and then he was gone. And he's like, "Why don't we meet in like early March? I'm like we can't wait that long." So uh, on that spot, we said we're going to fly down this weekend. You know, five day notice. We, we no money of all this stuff. Fly to Australia, and that showed our again. It was showing the you commitment. You flew to Australia. We flew to Australia. On the drop of a dime, this was January, 2020. It was the height no of their way. bushfires. Yeah. The height of the bushfires. So we're flying in through heavy smoke into Melbourne and we spent a week there. How'd
0: you finance that trip?
1: Personal savings, credit cards. Personal yeah. savings. Oh. You know, talk about putting your, you know, your pocketbook aligned with your purpose. And we said, this, this is important. We have no idea if it's going to work out, but we have to do this if it is going to work out. Because this demonstrated our commitment to the cause and it allowed him to see us enough, pitching it to Australian investors, discussing it, working it. We had our ideas torn apart by people there. And it's like, how did we accept the criticism? How did we work with it? How did we build on it? Uh, so he got to see who we were. So then he joined up. By joined up, you mean he came in, came in as an investor? He came in as an investor and our, and our board chair. He was our first investor, and he is the chairman of our board. And he brings that global, that global experience and connections to to this. And you know, we're so honored and lucky to have him. And impact investors from Australia, and then investors. So then we came back. It's now it's February 2020, and we go out for fundraising, and a global pandemic breaks out. And it's like we're just getting started, and then the world stops. And we were okay. And like I don't want to make light of the horrible situation that was and people that lost their lives. So we had nothing compared to that, but it was incredibly difficult for us to get this off the ground because it took very long time to get up enough money to then build our MVP and launch. But we did. And we kept we kept working at it and we built it. And you signed up as one of our Our early customers. And then we launched last month. And now here we are taking in deposits and moving them away from fossil fuels and towards clean energy. And we're going to keep doing more. And
0: we've been workshopping in this recording, even fun little phrases that I hope that you all appreciate, like aligning your pocketbook with your purpose or your purpose of your pocketbook. I came up with another, Robbie, align your cause with your checking account. I don't know if that one will fly, but we'll keep noodling it.
1: Align your cash with your cause.
0: I like that. What's the biggest challenge that you and Pete have faced as co-founders?
1: Getting something started. It's convincing other people that this is worth backing. No, that's not what I mean. I mean that's not what mean, I mean. You mean like I mean, an interpersonal conflict between the I two mean, of us?
0: What, yeah. What's the biggest challenge that you and Pete have faced as co-founders? I'd say we've been relatively lucky.
1: Um, we, we have disagreements more than arguments about mostly it's language uh because you know, we like, oh disagree on something and then we realize that we've been saying the same thing just in our own language and so we step back and we you know translate it and then it's like oh yeah they're very similar and you know it's like okay I'm fine going. You know, yours is ninety percent of what I was saying, and mine's eighty percent of yours. Let's just go with yours. And so we've been we've been very lucky. Like there haven't been any blowups or fights or I'm gonna quit if you don't do this, whatever.
0: Um, It's it's been really good. Like, how do you resolve conflict, even if it's just surface level conflict? Of like, I think we should say it this way. How do you resolve that?
1: Here's my evidence. Here's your evidence. All right, that sounds good. Like, don't draw straws
0: or shuffle the deck.
1: Hey, man, haven't, haven't, haven't done that yet. Um, and really there've been one, we have a board chair. So if there is anything it's like, okay, we have a third person. We also have, you know, a CTO and, and a fourth person and engine, another engineer. So we can, especially on the technical side, we bring it up with them and often defer to them, especially the CTO. So that there, we have sort of these, these checks in place. To, to help us uh, overcome any disagreements that we have.
0: Perhaps it's through this process or just generally because you've been involved for a decade plus in launching ventures. What are some key lessons or takeaways from the mentors that have impacted your life and career? It's
1: a long, long game. Play that way. Uh, if you're mathematical, it's called an iterated prisoner's dilemma scenario, where it's essentially You know, in that or the other way I said it, if you optimize for a single transaction, you could be setting yourself up and the partnership up and the company for greater harm down the road. So, winning an argument—you know—the tactical versus strategic wins is another way to put it. If you fight, fight, fight to get this one point, but you damage that relationship, well, when something bigger comes up. They may not have your back, whether it's a, your co-founder, whether it's an employee, an investor, a vendor, or even a competitor. Like there are, especially in this industry, yes, we have competition with the other startups, but really we're competing against fossil fuels. And this, so we, we need to work together to this. So treat it like a marriage, work towards the long game.
0: Play the long game. Any advice beyond play the long game that has been particularly helpful for you as an entrepreneur that you'd like to share along to other entrepreneurs in the throes of startup life?
1: Again, it goes back to it's a long game. Most of what you do is not an emergency. Yeah, I push as hard as I can sustainably. I am one of those genetic freaks that require less sleep than the quote unquote air quotes for people not watching, uh, eight hours a day. Uh, I definitely sleep more when I need it, but I usually get five hours. That's
0: remarkable for a 60-year-old. <laughs> Wait, uh, no, no, sorry. <laughs> for those unfamiliar, Robbie is not 60. Uh, in fact, later in life, it turns out you need less hours of sleep, apparently. But I've been noticing the same thing, man, that, uh, and especially after my own personal sort of health crisis last year, I sleep to optimize for whether or not I've had enough sleep. (laughs) Not like the old Zig Ziglar, I get up at six o'clock every day, no matter how, what time I went to bed, where there's like, I appreciate the discipline in that. And in my thirties, that was absolutely true. But now in my forties, I'm optimizing for what I believe is the the new truth that wasn't available in Zig Ziglar's time that if you optimize for well-restedness, your mental health and your physical health serves your business much better. Damn you, you freak of nature! <laughs> I, I'm optimized around like six and a half to seven hours of sleep. I've tracked my sleep since like uh, 2012. Man, I've had one of these on a tracker, you know, some sort of body tracker since then. I used to have a, a headband that I would mm. wear that measure that. Which that was really great. It was the Zio. The Zio. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, have you tried the Muse, the uh, the the mindfulness trainer? No, I haven't tried that one. No, the other uh, one I'm really interested in right now is the Whoop strap. whoop whoop. that's more of like geeking out on on physical fitness there on the recovery yeah i
1: might get that one
0: as you're now getting ready to grow your team what are the what are the skills that you look for in an early team member of your startup well
1: rather than skill it'd be mission alignment are they in this right now we're so early that we need people that are here because of the cause a lot of creativity is not quite the right word, but it's close. They're going to think it's like, okay, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to deploy capital to stop climate change. This is how I think. If they're just there to do the job, they're going to be like, okay, I need to do these tasks rather than achieve this end. Uh, so that'd be number one. And then skills would be, fle- you know, flexibility and communication, because those are key. Especially right now, uh, we have a distributed team naturally and forced right now. Uh, I mean, even, even we're, we're semi-distributed within the Bay Area. Uh, and so it's, it's crucial that we have good communication between us.
0: What's the coolest climate tech you've seen come out in the last 12 months, maybe even the last 12 weeks? There's a banking app. It's called Atmos Financial. <laughs> <laughs> Ever the entrepreneur. <laughs> I'll um, I'll start cave- caveating that question yeah. <laughs> with besides what you currently are bringing to market yeah
1: um, oh god there's so much I don't know I heard of this paint it's actually rather than so as a material scientist I really like this it's it's a basically it's a diffracting pigment uh, so this paint doesn't actually hold the pigment within itself uh, it diffracts light and reflects light and that is what we see sort of like you know uh chlorophyll helps to reflect green light that's what we see you know things that are green etc etc um so this could have like really cool implications for water use
0: and chemicals and so forth Uh, so it's not climate tech exactly but it's super cool do you know the name of that and you said it's diffracted diffracting Uh,
1: no it's not a pigment It's, it's it's like a diffracting paint um I, I heard it and I tried to look it up and I couldn't find it. Like it was on a phone mm. call that I heard this. Well, box. if
0: anybody knows about this, uh, yeah, this refracting cool <laughs> or refracting paint, uh, um, let us know. That is super uh, cool. Anything I could buy at Walmart? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I
1: mean, and then additionally, um, so, you know, I am going to bias towards the energy sector and I mean, you had Arch Rao mm-hmm. on from Span. Yeah. I, I love Span. I love that product. Um, because it really sort of brings sort of that house elect- electrical controls into the 21st century and allows us to, you know, it's definitely part of my master plan
0: of, of switching out all the homes. What have you personally, like what $100 or less product have you purchased in the last year that has given you the most joy or value?
1: $100 purchase. Well, let's see, this mic, uh, probably maybe the best value because it got <laughs> me onto suncast because <laughs> uh, it's a
0: requirement
1: of suncast to have is. a, good, a good, good audio quality yeah what about joy yeah i mean it would you know it'd probably be a meal it's one of the, the the many meals that my wife and i have shared over this past year and we've because we've been able to like we've made it a, a weekly practice of purchasing takeout food. So we're we're going to our local stores were hit really hard. And so we said, you know what? Like yeah, it's hard for us. That is we do take out like once every couple months before that, but we're 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 dedicated to uh, keeping keeping our local restaurants open, our local businesses. Um, and like this one one time I went in the I'm I'm getting teary because this woman, she was so grateful. It was this this restaurant is normally just overflowing. I like got lunch and we bought some lunch food. It was not a huge order, um, but she was nearly in tears. The entire kitchen staff came out to thank us. Like, It's so important to support our local businesses, especially during this hard time. So I would say that has given me the, the greatest joy.
0: That is so cool, man. Yeah. we've. I mean, simple, simple and similar story. As soon as we got back from Mexico, I went back to this place as the only place that I liked the gluten-free crust and it had been purchased by another company. And now it's called Peabody pizza here in, uh, in Durham. And it's a funny story that like the guy, like they screwed up an order on our first order and the owner delivered a replacement pizza and we're a 15 minute drive from the shop. And we've now know each other on our first name. We buy a pizza every Sunday. We, we bought a pizza like once every six weeks in the past. We buy pizza every Sunday. I want to see that owner survive this. Play the long game. All right. The nightstand question that you are no doubt familiar as a long time Sunday us listener What's on your nightstand? What are you reading today?
1: I am. I've got a, a,
0: a few books.
1: Uh, I have just recently restarted a childhood fiction uh, story. And as you know, you, you've talked about that recently with others. Uh, so it's, it's the Mahabharata. It's the greatest epic ever written. It's called The Greatest Epic Ever Written? No, no, no. Like Mahabharata. It's it's a tale. It's a mythological tale from India. Historical, depending on, you know, which view you take. Uh, who's the author? The author is Veda Vyasa, is a saint from thousands of years ago, who ah, okay. was the, the, the author, and he narrated it to Lord Ganesh. So this version, I'm, I'm reading a, a recent translation from Ramesh Menon. So it's modernized and this is an abridged version. And it's like, th- this is abridged and I'm holding my hands up about six inches apart. And like this, this is the abridged version. This is my favorite story. I first read it when I was a young child from Komala Subramaniam, which was like the main abridged version, which is like the size of a giant dictionary. And and now it's been updated. Uh, it's more modern language. And Ramesh Menon is now the editor on a new translation by a, a large group of Sanskrit scholars. So it's in Sanskrit and it's never, you know, it hasn't really been fully translated, 100,000 verses of it. And they're doing it and it is just incredible. So they're, they're actively translating
0: the, the full version now, and it'll be like 20 volumes. I just found volume one on Amazon, so I'll link to that, of course. It was just published in paperback in July of last, oh, of 2006 it was published. Okay, cool.
1: So, so yeah, that, that's, that's the one that Ramesh did as the author. And now, I think it was like 2011 or 2012, they started this new translation. So that's what I'm currently reading, as well as uh, there are leadership books by uh, former Navy SEAL Jocko Willink. Uh, when he I uh, first him heard him on the Tim Ferriss Which podcast. Which books in particular, yeah. Right now I'm leading reading leadership strategy and tactics, but the uh you know, extreme ownership, sort of the classic. That's says the first book. You know, we talk about discipline. His mantra is discipline equals freedom.
0: And yeah, yeah, I wake I, up I actually, a, I, yeah. I have a I have a mentor who says you don't need motivation if you've got discipline. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a common question that he gets is like, Chaco, how do you stay motivated to wake up every day at four 30? He said, I don't motivation comes and goes. I have discipline to
0: get up every day. Yeah. For what it's worth that mentor that I'm referring to was in the Israeli special forces. So like same mindset, actually, like some would say like even more insanely, like disciplined mindset.
1: When I was 10, uh, when I was in fifth grade, we had an exercise to write out our perfect day. Most of my classmates were play baseball and eat pizza, go swimming. Spend it, you know it was, it was very filled with prose and just you know general statements. Mine was a schedule uh, starting at 4 a.m. going until 10 p.m., broken out in 15 minute increments. I have been this weird since I was little. What um, <laughs> like to get? I up would. Before I- um,
0: do you have that now as a schedule, broken out in 15 minute increments? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: I, I, you know, I can't get most well, give people me, to only meet with me for 15 minutes.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, at least of all, Nico Johnson. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> this, this recording alone took three hours. Can, uh, over what, the course of three months. Can you give me a, t- a flavor of a perfect, your perfect day?
1: Oh, it would still, it would be very similar. Um, I'd still be waking up at 4 a.m. Uh, there would be meditation and reflection, there would be exercise early in the morning. Back then I put down, I would go outside and chop wood for an hour. I'd love to do that.
0: (laughs) It is one of my, it is one of my favorite
1: activities, (laughs) chop wood and carry water. Um, I, I would be working on stopping climate change for a good portion of that. I would have time with, you know, my wife and soon to be child, eat tasty food. And then in the evening, you know, when all was done, I would go to bed.
0: What time is that? Uh, I mean, typically it's ten to eleven and then get up at four, like right. remember he's um he's a cyborg. yeah. What habit or consistent practice has had the greatest impact on your life or work? It's yeah, the,
1: probably the dogged determination and discipline to keep going on this. and daily discipline definitely helps uh, maintaining exercise and and getting up to do work.
0: As Seth Godin says, The Practice. By the way, that's a book that I've been recommending to everybody lately. You got to read this book, The Practice by Seth Godin. It is un- real, man. It's unbelievable. Where can people best engage with you? Where can they find Ravi online?
1: So, as I said in the beginning, Ravi is Sanskrit for the sun. My last name is Mikkelsen. It's Danish. Ravi Mickelson is unique amongst the 8 billion people on this planet. So, if you Google my name, you will find me. Uh, I am on all the social channels you can email me, Ravi, R-A-V-I, at joinatmos.com, and I will respond eventually. Getting a lot of emails right now, but I do respond. He is very
0: good. At, he's better at,
1: than Nico at email. <laughs> Go to our website. You can ping us. We have a chat. So it won't just get me. You'll get one of the other team members, and we will gladly answer your questions about Atmos or moving your money You know to match your mission or... Your cash to your cause or your pocketbook to your
0: purpose. I love it. Align your money to your mission and your pocketbook to your purpose. You can do that at joinatmos.com forward slash suncast. We already shared your uh, outlandish, bold prediction, but is there anything lasting? Is there any lasting impression you'd like to leave on the suncast audience as we depart uh, today, dearly beloved? Do more like this is the time
1: like i've i've heard a lot of clock a lot of talk in the climate community that oh we've got this incredible the most climate aggressive administration ever yes that's true and they have bold promises themselves and there's also you know half of congress that doesn't want to see those actions happen and many in business that don't want to see those happen. So do not rely upon them and the promises that they say they can do. If they can, great, support them every way you can, but do more. If you're in the the clean energy industry, do more. Talk to more people. Yeah, you know, move your money. Move up that new purchase or lease of an electric vehicle. We can all take one more action, two more actions to accelerate this so that whatever happens in the next election, it doesn't matter. We've gone beyond the tipping point where clean energy and electrification and an equitable regenerative economy is the inevitable outcome and it's approaching ever faster.
0: I often revel at the uh, joy and the profound insights that I gain from talking to Ravie and uh, basking in what is often a joyful sunlight that you uh, give off, my friend. Thank you for bringing to us the the very notion that there can be the Patagonia of banking. Uh, I am a proud depositor and look forward to seeing the the meteoric uh, rise of this organization as you break uh, terminal velocity and you leave the atmosphere and, and create so much more opportunity for the way that our deposits are invested into good. I am personally aligning my cash with my cause uh, through you. Thank you for that opportunity. We've been listening to Ravi Mickelson, the CEO and co-founder of Atmos Financial, a new fintech startup redirecting your deposits into the causes that you already support with your missional and intentional lifestyle. Ravi, thank you for being here on Suncast.
1: Nico, thank you so much for having me. It's always a great joy and I can't wait to do it again. And Talk about more amazing climate tech uh, that's come out and the journey that we're both on
0: together yeah man i look forward to having you back all right solar warrior well that was one really interesting dive into the world of uh, financial literacy i hope that you've learned something about how where and why your capital is being invested or mal into the purposes of the financial industry and the world at large I certainly did, and as you heard, I became a convert. I was not not convinced by Robbie's argument for months and months, Uh, but I am a depositor at uh, at Atmos, and I'm super grateful for the opportunity to be helped to to contribute to that organization. Well, listen, if you are eager to learn more about it, you can go to joinatmos.com forward slash suncast, and that will flag to Robbie that you, a listener of our show, have heard about this opportunity. I thank you for taking action on that. And by the way, since you're gonna be online, I'd like to ask you for two more quick favors. Would you go ahead and jump over to LinkedIn where Ravi and I frequently post and we've posted about this episode. And I'd love it if you just give a like and a comment, which is super meaningful for us. What did you learn from this episode? Leave your comment in today's post on LinkedIn about this episode so that we can hear from you. By the way, if you're eager to keep learning, and I know you are fellow philomath, then you can find the resources and highlights from this episode and every other discussion on Suncast along with the social media links for Ravi and myself, the book recommendations, which were deep and important today, uh, as they usually are, and and more over at mysuncast.com. Click on the show notes well, next week we kick off Women's History Month and you will not be disappointed with the lineup. I assure you, we've got two fantastic female leaders giving you deep insight into what's happening in the world of clean energy, starting with my friend Amanda Rico on Tuesday. Don't miss it. We also are kicking off next week, our newest coaching program, and it is all about getting the job that you love, that you deserve in a field that is fulfilling for you, and that is clean energy. So if you've been thinking about that, then you'll want to go over to mysuncast.com and uh, check out our newest coaching program uh, because we have purposely tailored it for you, the job seeker who wants that side door introduction to the clean energy economy from folks who've already been working there for 15 plus years. Thanks once again, as always, to our sponsors for helping make this content free. To you. You can learn more about them as well as how you could partner with us and help the Suncast tribe move forward at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.